Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Welcome to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. And we are here to promote knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And as always, it's our goal, it's our responsibility, it's our challenge every single week that we do this show to empower you, our listeners, to knowing, being, doing, and impacting the world around you. And, of course, as always, you're always welcome to join us on this eliminating journey. And there are several ways you can do that. First, the primary way you can do that, if you want to get your thoughts, insights, in, whatever you want to do on the air live, you can call the number 347-237-5230. That's the number to call to get that on the air. But the chat line is already open, so you can go to blogtalkradio.com, and you'll see the Zero Today chat line is open. So get in on that. And you can share your thoughts in on that. Send me an email at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. I always love to hear from you guys um, regarding the show. Uh, uh, what else? How else can you do it? Oh, yeah. Uh, go by our Facebook page, Zero Network Today. Like the page. Uh, go to the blog, talkradio.com slash Zero Today. Uh, and like the, uh, the like the show, subscribe to the show. You can get updates, and, um, updates archive shows, all of that. Follow us on Twitter, my personal Twitter at Prophesy. And, uh, well, you know, however you can get on with us, we are here. We're glad that you are tuning in this morning. We have a lot that we're going to be discussing this morning. We are, there's so much going on that um, that I, I want to get into, but uh, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. I'm uh, the sound is a little bit out of loop by it. I am, so we're going to get on track here in a second. But um, um, this is Holy Week. This is the week uh, uh, some are celebrating Passover. Some are celebrating um, Easter, uh, the last days of Jesus. And 
a lot of people will be having Good Friday services. Some are having Holy Week revivals. And, of course, all of this culminating on Sunday with uh, the observance of the resurrection, uh, as commonly known as Easter. So we're going to be discussing the conflict of the Holy Week uh, in the Holy Week narrative. To be more specific, you know, the Gospels seem to be disjointed, disconnected, and somewhat uh, contradictory in their accounts, uh, synodic Gospels and their accounts of the last days of Christ, of Jesus of Nazareth. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that, but we really, really, really want to get a uh, follow-up on the discussion we were talking about last week, the Paschal Mystery, uh, contemplating the deeper, the deeper meaning of this this observance that we have, and, and um, I don't want to jump ahead myself, but you know there are a lot of other myths that correlate with the narrative of Holy Week, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and we'll talk about that too. But but um, don't want to jump ahead of myself. So before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will get into the news and uh, topic after that. So let's pray, Father. We just thank you. For what you're doing we thank you O oh god for being gracious to us we thank you O oh lord for your loving kindness that allows us to do what we're doing we pray O oh god that you would just uh let the words of our mouth and meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight lord our rock and our redeemer amen so uh this is holy week and there's a lot that is going on man i tell you my phone is acting up um so we want we wanted to discuss some things, but there's a headline that a uh, couple of headlines that I, I want to get to. First is uh, there's been another pastor who has committed suicide uh, recently. Last week, um, uh, pastor what's his name here? Yeah, Pastor uh, Robert McKeon. I think I'm saying that name right. Uh, he was the pastor of the Community Bible Church in somewhere in North Carolina, and he has put his community, his family, and his church in shock by taking his own life. And you know, we've talked about we've talked about this before uh, with this with a pastor in Georgia uh, who who committed suicide and. There, there are several other pastors who don't make the headlines that have taken their lives. And I, I think it is more and more critical that we begin to address this issue in the church. Uh, I, I serve as a pastoral counselor in therapist. You know, I, I don't hide that. I get counseling. I've been to counseling, and I provide counseling also. Uh, but, you know, in the black church particularly, this is still taboo, and we have many a pastor suffering from mental health issues that are going unaddressed, and they take it out on their members, they take it out on their family, their children, they become abusive, neglectful, or in, in this case, suicidal, and that's because they, they feel they cannot, cannot expose themselves as who they really are. Uh, I, I've gotten personally tired of that. Uh, I, I, I am learning to take the risk of transparency, or rather, being slightly opaque. <laughs> Transparent yet slightly opaque. In other words, being open enough about what's really going with on with me with someone else that I can be accountable to uh, without it overly exposing myself and my flaws. 
uh, to them where they could, you know, hopefully, you know, they don't take advantage, but there's some who would. But uh, I, I think the church needs to think, and this is on the heels of a year, one year anniversary of, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, but Pastor Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in California, the mega church, you know, you know, a big prominent pastor, purpose-driven uh, author and whatnot. Well, I remember about a year ago, his son took his life. And he wrestled with that. And there were a lot of Christians who were so hard on Pastor Warren and his family. And, you know, they were condemning the son to hell. Uh, and Pastor McKeon's wife, she uh, responded that she believes his, he's in heaven, even though he took his own life. And, and I, you know, the, the Christian, the doctrine of that has, has become so flawed. You know, we, we cannot judge. We don't you know, heaven or hell. I do believe we should not take our own lives, but I do understand why some do. Uh, that does not negate the fact that, uh, you know, we we probably run the risk of, of a greater judgment if we believe in that, you know, that there's that greater risk of, of judgment. Of course, we don't know. We're not God, so we have no, no real, no real uh, authority to place or displace anyone anywhere and I think we should uh, carry that and be more aware of that but back to this pastor so he he takes his own life but he the Sunday before he did uh, which was Palm Sunday this past Sunday he takes his life but the morning he preaches a sermon from he preaches a sermon that he titled everything or nothing or everything and nothing coming from Romans chapter eight twenty eight through uh, uh, what's that the last verse thirty nine I think that's it. but um, and if you ever go back and read that that's the that's the part of scripture that says that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose uh, that 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 includes that passage in that in Romans chapter eight. Then talks about whom he called, he justified, blah, blah, blah. And then he says that uh, I am convinced that neither death nor life uh, or uh, nothing can separate me from the love of God through Christ Jesus. He goes through that list. Paul talks about that. But there's something interesting in that, in that, that passage of Scripture that Paul touches on and then moves off and says, uh, I can't think of the exact verse. Let me look, find it real quick. Uh... 36, verse 36 in Romans chapter 8, it says, uh, uh, As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And all these things we are more than conquerors through him that love. Now, I'm reading into this something I think that when he preached this, he could have been crying out for help. That scripture right there can't. I'm, I'm doing a whole lot of inference here, so just bear, bear with me. You know, maybe he was relying on part of that scripture to say, "I'm being killed within, internally. I'm struggling. I'm doing the work of Christ. I'm doing the work of the church, but I am I'm losing myself in the process of doing this work, and I've been killed all the day. I'm counted like a sheep for the slaughter, and it's significant because we you know." being the Passover lamb as we're celebrating this week and, you know, the Paschal mystery. Uh, it's just interesting. I, 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 I read into that. Uh, I cry 
for help. Maybe he lost himself so far into what he was doing, what he had become, the image of the pastor, not the pastor, but the image of the pastor had become so overwhelming to him that he could not stand, and he was being killed. That's, I mean, I, I know I, I've taken some very liberal interpretation of that, and I've gone far out with that, but, I mean, it's a possibility. Because the inference there, and when you read from the beginning of the chapter, he talks about no condemnation at the beginning of chapter 8, and he goes on talks about uh, being an enemy of the world, an enemy of God, a friend of the world, an enemy of God, going about adoption, and then he closes out there saying no, nothing can separate me from the love of God. So maybe he was saying that even in my most desperate state of affairs, of life, maybe God isn't going to be as angry as me if there's no condemnation. Maybe he understands what I'm going through, and if I if I do choose to end it all, I'm still not going to be separated from him. I know that is far, far, far-reaching, but just bear with me for a moment. Just go with me. I mean, I believe that is a, what a lot of pastors are facing. They don't care to admit it, but we, I know for myself, you know, it's a difficult thing, and there are moments where I do feel a lot of, over, you know, quite overwhelmed in this in this vocation. And it's not something that I uh, intentionally chose to do. You know, I was reading something earlier where, you know, a vocation, a job is something that you, you, you know, you get paid well to do. But a calling is something that, you know, you just do. And this is a calling. And what starts off from a calling, because you bring other people in, can become a nightmare. I'm just saying. Uh, I, I said all that. I mean, I, I send, extend my condolences to his family to his church because you know he 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 gave no indication to either of the bodies his family or his church or the community that he was struggling with this whatever he was wrestling with was so overwhelming that the only way he could see himself being victorious was to take his own life and I know there's some people who are going to say, well, that was a demon. That You know, when you commit suicide, it's a demon. And the demon, went, I don't care about all that. I don't, I don't really think it's a demonic issue. I think it's a mental health issue. And, and yes, there may be some, some spiritual overtones in it, but the, the greatest thing is that when person, especially for a person in the role of a pastor, you have to present yourself as one who is spiritually strong and capable of handling intense spiritual activity. And nine times out of ten, it wears on you, and you eventually wear out. You lose that strength. Every warrior gets tired. Every warrior gets weary. Even Isaiah says, even the young should get weary. And the young men shall fall. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Not up with wings as eagles, run and not get weary, wait. Uh, run and not get weary, walk and not faint, you know, things like that. But reality is, it's the fainting and the weariness that gets to most of us. And I wish more lay persons would be a little more direct in helping their count their pastor or their religious, uh, their spiritual person, director, or whatever they call them now, <laughs> consultant, whoever, but helping them. Uh, be aware of the need that they have for the same burden that they have people, you know. And I have to find myself, you know, I, I'm a recovering codependent individual. In other words, you know, 
I, I, I had this need to be needed, and it was really, really overwhelming. And there were plenty of times that, that I felt burdened by it. But I'm learning to have, you know, thanks to some therapy and helping, I'm learning how to deal with that and find balance and not not be Pastor Neil all the time, just sometimes be Lorenzo. And Lorenzo's a cool guy when he wants to be. You know, he doesn't always have to be the smart aleck, know-it-all, you know, scholar. <laughs> he can just be crazy sometimes. But I digress. That's that's how it is. Um so pray for uh, Pastor McKeon and his family. Pray for uh, uh, Dorf, what is it, uh, the church? I can't find the name of the church. Uh, the Community Bible Church in North Carolina. And not only that, but plenty of other pastors, students in ministry, uh, lay persons in ministry who may be experiencing some of the same things who um, just find it hard to cope with. After it may have had a loss, whatever it may be, whatever, just pray for them. Pray what what the old coach for <laughs> after the testimony service they say, well, pray my strength in the Lord. <laughs> Y'all pray their strength, pray pray their strength, pray their strength. But look, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll come back from this break. We're gonna get into our topic today, and we're gonna be discussing uh, the Holy Week, the conflict, all of this that we have. <laughs> we may overlook and definitely neglect uh, during this moment. So we're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. She's this new robot we're trying out, mostly for, like, small stuff. Wow. Look at her go. She's pretty good. Pretty good. Hey, Flowbot. Great job. Oops. Uh-oh. Flowbot is broken. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. Call or click today. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book that I thought would be a blessing to so many people. And that book has garnered a lot of attention. And let me tell you. The book is about family, all about family, but it's about what is broken in the family. And then a lot of our lives are broken. A lot of our families are dysfunctional, and God wants to repair the family. You need to go order a copy of my book, A Breach in the Family. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at barnesandnobles.com. You can get it at any outlet, and I'm telling you, you're going to be blessed. Following the story in Genesis chapter 38 of Judah and Tamar, you find how the best and the biggest mistakes that you can make can still be used to bring about resurrection, new life, and salvation to your family. Go and order your copy today of A Breach in the Family by Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I guarantee you, you will be blessed by it. Do it now. Don't hesitate. Go get it. What you waiting for? How much money do you need to make each month? 
That's the first question we'll ask when you decide to start your own home business through IncomeAtHome.com. As a success coach, I'm here to guide people like Karen who need to earn serious money from home. We were living payday to payday, and with four teenagers at home, we were worried. By the third month, I was banking more than $2,600. After only 18 months, I was consistently earning more than $7,000 a month. Now, it's a six-figure income, and I'm paying cash for college for four kids. We found our way out of rat race. Listen, this isn't selling soap or energy water to your friends. This is a real business, bringing potential customers to your computer so you can earn money 24-7. Incomeathome.com is affiliated with a multi-billion dollar company and carries a triple A rating. So, how much money do you need to earn each month from home? Visit Incomeathome.com right now for your chance to win $1,000. Suits today aren't like suits from yesterday. Part of it is the cut of today's suit. Short jacket, narrow lapel, moderate fit. But part of it is the cut of the man himself. Because today, it's not so much the brand of suit that defines the man, as it is the brand of man who wears it. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee you. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Again, I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and we're glad that you joined us today. Uh, last segment, we you know, went a little bit over, but I'm, I'm passionate about uh, the issue regarding pastors and mental health, well-being. I, I just wanted to make that clear. I'm passionate about it. I try to keep mine up, and I, I know you know most people don't, don't get it, but it is what it is. All right, so we're going to get into our topic today. And the topic we're talking about, this is Holy Week. And as I stated in the intro before, you know, this week a lot of people are having revivals. Some places they're reenact, they'll be reenacting the events uh, of the, what has come to be known as Holy Week events, uh, the last days of Jesus of Nazareth uh, in Rome. They'll, they'll be recreating his walk down the villa. Via Della Rosa, or the the Road of Sorrows, as it's called, uh, you know, and carrying the cross. That a lot of people will be recreating the Last Supper event, not the one that uh, Leonardo da Vinci painted because it's wrong. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, Good Friday, of course. Uh, a lot of churches will be uh, having a Good Friday service where they'll be uh, having the seven last sayings of Christ. And I'll be one of those preachers. I'm preaching one of the seven last sayings on Good Friday. You know, we, we, we observe here in this area. So I'll be participating in it. And it's culminating with the ultimate event 
uh, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, uh, where a lot of churches will be having sunrise service. And I'm telling you, I used to love the sunrise service when I was a baby, but when I got it wrong, no, sir. Nah, that's, I'm glad we don't do it. I, 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 I don't, let me stop. <laughs> let me stop. For those of you who have sunrise service, go right ahead. <laughs> Both Bible to you. But I ain't getting up early in the morning. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. But And then, you know, every service, most of, particularly in the black church, you know, the black church, the baby's going to have the best clothes on, the most beautiful dresses, the hair's going to be good, the little boy's going to have the suits and the ties and the vest or whatever, the shirt's going to be tucked in, the pants won't be sagging, they're going to get up and they're going to say their Easter speech. Jesus rose in morning. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So I probably wore that out. But the Easter events, and, and let me put a pin there because I, I, I want to address something. For those who, you know, fight against this, let, let's make it clear. Easter in and of itself is pagan. Let's just make it clear. It, we, uh, it was adapted into the Christian uh, religion after uh, Christianity became the uh, state religion of Rome. When Constantine became emperor in the 4th century, and you know he had the vision of the cross and won the war and declared Christianity to be the official religion of the Roman Empire, so forth and so on, and his mother, Helena, went back to the Holy Land and discovered... By re- direct revelation, of course, all of a sudden, all of the mysterious places that had been lost, the tomb, the, uh, <laughs> the, the tomb where he was buried, the, be- the place where he was born, all this stuff, she miraculously discovered. But, you know, that's a whole other thing. So, as a means of incorporating pagans who were Roman and had their own celebrations and without forcing them, they just simply incorporated what they were already doing. And uh, just so you know, you know, Easter is affiliated with Ishtar. And Ishtar was uh, a pagan god. And <laughs> the, the myth that is associated with the resurrection of Christ is also associated with that. So let's just make it clear. So let's, let's take away from the event as we see it in Christendom. No, I don't believe so. I mean, you have to realize that uh, across all religious spectrums, there is a uh, there is a narrative of resurrection, crucifixion, all of that. This that's a that's a narrative. I believe that is part of uh, God's ordained uh, story of redemption. And said in different ways, same message conveyed. So I just wanted to get that explained. And, you know, if you want to challenge me on that, that's fine. I, I don't mind that. Uh, I, I I may be. Incorrect on something, so you may want to challenge me. You know, hey, bring it. I, I don't mind that. I just want to make sure that we have an understanding before we go in there. And because I'm bringing, I, I, I want to discuss it from a contemplative perspective, from a mystical perspective. We have to understand uh, uh, the other <laughs> references to uh, to the Easter holiday. Now, now, most people. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this with absolute confidence. Most people have never fully read the entire narratives of Christ last week. By the entire narratives, I mean the last several chapters of Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John 
all deal. The, usually, the uh, well, with Matthew, it starts in chapter 20 and goes on to all the way to uh, around 27, somewhere in there. I could be mistaken, but those are the events that just generally deal with um, the Holy Week. Then you get the resurrection, and then you have some events after the resurrection with the appearance. We're not talking about that. And, and in John, same thing, you know, the last uh, uh, beginning in around chapter 13 in John, and going into uh, chapter uh, 20, 19, 20, somewhere in there, um, and in Mark, beginning in chapter 11, uh, and going on into chapter 15, and, and Luke, which is the more, it's, you know, if you get to the last part of the book, you'll find it. But um, there's, there's a lot of, the argument from non-believers is that there are inconsistencies, discrepancies in these gospel accounts. And they are absolutely correct. There are more discrepancy and inaccuracies in the text that we would care to admit. But uh, those seemingly indiscrepancies and seemingly uh, inaccuracies that we get is largely because of how we've been told to read and reflect and, and you got to understand you know you go back and you get how the gospels came to be and uh, you see what what sources they were drawing from to develop these narratives first they were oral and then the oral became written traditions and you had one source source Q that Mark drew from and and then Matthew and Luke drew from Mark and John and he's his own little thing but he drew from somebody else and whatever but but the essence of the narratives is remains the same. Uh, there may be some who who argue, but from a literary perspective, and again, you have to see the Bible as a book of that, a literature first, before you add any sacredness to it, uh, before you add any spiritual. It is it, in its most basic form, it is a book. It is a literature. It's a piece of literature, com uh, combination of narratives, poetry, stories myths and all of that, inclusive and, you know, uh, uh, prophetic, in uh, apocalyptic writings, all inclusive in those 66 books. Uh, so, focusing simply on this Holy Week, and, and I say this, and if you disagree, fine, you know, let me know. Get on the air. Call 347-237-4. Five two three zero. I I'd love to hear. It. Oh, or shoot, you know, get in the chat line. But I believe the biggest mistake that uh, the modern church has is that we have lost the full essence of the story because the narratives seem disjunct, you know, disconnected. You know, you find pieces in John, you find pieces in Matthew that's not in Luke, you find pieces in Mark that's not in Matthew. And so because of that disconnect, the narrative overall gets lost. But when you read it, it's so amazing. For example, Matthew uh, 21 and Mark 11 parallel each other in, in the narrative of first the coming in of Jesus entering into the, uh, uh, into the city of Jerusalem, you know, the, narrative, the stars where he told, tells two disciples to go and get the calf and he uh, get the donkey and they come in and they come back and do what you know and he rides into the donkey 
rising on a donkey and they're laying the palms down and they're saying Hosanna. Okay? And then, for example, I, this is the biggest thing. And I posted it on my Facebook page. It's one of the myths that has, uh, inaccuracies that has been uh, pushed for so long. They made the crowd that, the crowd that was there crying Hosanna, they made that crowd into the same crowd that was at his crucifixion. And that is not true. We read that in there. It's not, it's not true. There's no, there is no proof of that. You can't validate from script, that with scripture. So, you know, but we preached it over and over. The same people who said Hosanna was the same people who were saying crucify him. And that's, that's, that's not true. I had to, had to break away from that because when you read the text, uh, these people were on the outskirts as he came into the city, and then the ones who were at there were in 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 Jerusalem. So these, these may not have been the same crowd. And then you had the babies. Uh, the babies were seeing the, the people cry Hosanna. And then uh, in the Matthew and Marking account, uh, as he comes into the temple and he's cleansing the temple, he's cleansing the temple. Uh, one account says the babies were crying Hosanna, and the Pharisees got bad. And they wanted to kill him. And then another account said that he, he was, as he was turning over, uh, after he had turned over, he was teaching. And the Pharisees got mad because uh, people were amazed at how he taught. So you get that discrepancy there. You know, uh, one account saying the Pharisees got mad because the kids were saying Hosanna. Another account said that, you know, he was teaching and the people were so amazed. So, you, you, you know, that's a little discrepancy there. Then you have. In that same account, uh, it's mentioned early in, in the book of John, in chapter 4 of John, Jesus goes into the temple and he's throwing, you know, uh, I don't like to use the word throwing over, but, you know, he, he does what he's doing in Matthew chapter 21 and Mark uh, 11. He's doing that in John chapter 12, chapter 4. So it, it, it's like, is that two different events? And I I fair I, I to say, yes, those are two separate events. The other thing is, uh, we don't know how much time he spent in that temple. We don't know uh, because the accounts, Mark and Matthew accounts, give they both say that he went to the temple one day, then he left, and then he came back and he had another confrontation with the uh, Pharisees or religious leaders after returning, and you know they were trying to question his authority. Who authority? What? Who says you can do this? You know, question his authority. I I get that from some movie. I don't know. Uh, y'all know. I think that was Mark or Matt Martin or something. Anyway, so they're questioning his authority after he had come to the to the temple a second time during the same the same uh, week. I guess you can. I guess it'd be safe to say it was a week. I, we don't know. But in between the confrontation. Jesus is doing some serious teaching. He's teaching about the end times. He's teaching about, this is where we get the parable of the talents from. And he's, he's, he's talking about these people who were given opportunities for increase, and only two took advantage of it. And one thought it was, you know, fraudulent. And he did not take advantage of it, you know. And the two who took advantage, they were rewarded. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, I'm going to reward you with more. And to the one that thought it was fraudulent, he said, uh, uh, you know what? You don't deserve it. Take what he has and give it to the one who had the most anyway. And then he cast him down to the place where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
This is also where we get the idea where Jesus talks about Gehenna, hell. This is where he talks about the, the separating of the sheep from the goats. This is where he talks about who is going to heaven. This is where he talks about the, the falling of Jerusalem. You know, he prophesies about the falling of the city, the destruction of the temple, and all this apocalyptic, you know, apocalyptic talk that he's doing. And this is also where he showed his greatest time of service. Here he, in doing this, during this time, he is with his disciples in the most intimate moment where he washes their feet. He washes their feet. This is during the time when the woman who had this beautiful bottle of oil comes and anoints his feet and prepares him for burial. And the mat, you know, folk get mad. The disciples get mad. Judas, who was the treasurer and the thief, gets mad. And he's like, you know, we could have done this with that money. And, you know, and, and he, then he, he, you know, he's like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, he does what he's going to do. So this, 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 the, the last week of, of Jesus, of Nazareth's life, is full of the essence of humanity, its failures, its complacency, I mean, its complexities, emotionally, spiritually. You find all of that in this text. And it often gets ignored because we want to focus on one thing, you know. We're going to focus on the, the, the thief on the cross who said, when you're in paradise, remember me. And Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise. But before he gets to the cross, he goes through all of this, and he takes the time to help the people be aware of what he's doing. And the whole time he's going through this process, he is fully aware that he is going to die. I, it's amazing to me that Jesus of Nazareth, his emotional state at this time amazes me. For example, you have to count, and we were talking about this in Bible study yesterday, and it's one of the most interesting stories uh, in in the this last week narrative. It's the story when Jesus was coming back to the temple uh, from Bethany. And this one, the accounts vary. One account says he was on his way. One account says he was coming back. We don't, you know. Anyway, he encounters a fig tree, and he sees uh, a, a flower. He sees something on the fig tree, even though he knows it's not time for the the fig tree to bear fruit. He's looking for fruit, and then he gets mad when he doesn't see the fruit, and curses the tree. And it withers away. And they go about their business. And the Mark account says that when they came back, the disciples realized that the tree had actually withered up because Jesus spoke and said, you're never going to bear fruit again. And the tree withered up on their way back to where they were going. You can assume they were going back to Bethany, coming from the temple. We don't know if it was a day or two days. We don't know. But we do know wherever he was on his way back, where he was on his way back to, the disciples actually paid attention and realized that the, the big fig tree that he uh, spoke to, cursed, it, it withered away. The question has always been, why did he curse the fig tree in the first place when he knew it was not its season to bear fruit? That's why the disciples looked at him crazy. They didn't look at him crazy because, you know, he was the master and he was just talking to them. No, they, they were fully aware it was not time for it to bloom. 
But yeah, he curses and now it never blooms again. But Jesus was acting prophetically. And, and when you... When, how do you put it this way? The way Jesus responded to the tree was it indicative of what was coming to the land. I'm going to say that again. The way Jesus responded to the tree was indicative of what was coming to the land. Corruption and death and destruction was coming to the land. Not long after this happened, uh, you know, Rome just set the Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem up in flames. The temple destroyed and all of that. The, what's left is a side of the temple that people go to called the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. and That's where you see on television, you know, if you've never been, where all these people are praying at the wall because that is the last known uh, indicator of what the temple was, you know, and that's a huge thing. And I'm sharing with uh, Sunday school has hurt us because it's it's dulled the reality of what was going on. The temple complex was really huge, and you know, you, 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 we've been taught this small image of a couple of people, you know, taking money. And uh, I saw one thing on Facebook said that Jesus knocked over the bank. You know, the bankers. And if you he were here today, he'd do the same thing. I'm like, no, see, that's the problem. We That, that ain't how it happened, you know. Uh, we know this happened at least two occasions, and we know that, you know, this was merchants. And I, I use the analogy of a retail mall it, within the church complex or a bookstore, you know, something, you know, uh, 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 an, uh, a for profit in a non profit place. Anyway. So, he, he does all of this. And you have to question his mental state and his emotional state while he's doing this. And the only time we get a, a, a glimpse into his emotional state during this whole time is while he's praying in the garden. And we get a glimpse into his mental state, too. He got angry and upset in the garden. But then he turned right back around and showed compassion in the garden. Well, what do you mean? Well, he got angry because he was praying, and he asked three of his comrades to come and pray with him, and they end up falling asleep, and he sees their sleep, and he gets upset. You couldn't even pray with me for an hour? And he gets the other experience that we see that he's emotional. You know, he's praying, and the scripture says it's like blood was his sweat was like blood, and he's in such agony, and he's asking God to not allow him to go through it, but he says, not my will, but thy will be done, and he goes through it. And, and then one account says that as Judas came in and kissed him on his cheek, the soldiers came and recognized, you know, that was their sign to recognize who he was. And the soldiers came, and apparently, all, if not one, at least one of his Disciples were armed and cut out the soldier's ear, and Jesus had compassion and put the man's ear back on. So, you know, it's it's a crazy thing what we see. But that often gets overlooked because of the disconnect. You know, and disconnect, we, we focus in on just a few things in this week. And, and as preachers, we're guilty of it, not inviting the people in to participate as participants in this this narrative. 
to see as others had seen more than what we get preached to to get involved in the emotional state of the disciples to get involved in the, the, the state of the people why were the religious leaders so upset why were they dead set on killing him what was it what was so antagonistic about Jesus of Nazareth and you got to understand that during the Passover he was not the first one to, and he wasn't the last one. He wasn't the first one doing things like this, uh, uh, you know, kind of interfacing the Roman government, uh, people, and the expectation, and let, let, me, let me go back. The expectation was messianic. People were looking for a messianic figure. That's what they were expecting. That's why these crowds came in, you know, chanting the Hosanna, because the way he came in, they were they were they were expecting him to come in and overthrow both the pharisaical uh, pseudo religious system that was oppressing them and wage war against the Roman system that was oppressing them and he did neither. He did neither. His disciples wanted him to do that. His some of his disciples were expecting when they went into to to Jerusalem they were expecting some engagement at some time. They knew that people are going to be killed. It's always, I mean, it happened consistently. The Romans, whenever they had any of those feasts, the, Romans, the Roman army was in full effect, and they knew they were going to kill somebody that during one of those feasts. During Passover, they knew the people were going to, while they were celebrating a, a holy day, a holy event, they were rowdy. You know, it was a festival. It was a feast. It was, it was an observance. It was religious in nature, but it wasn't always religious in practice. You catch my drift? So, so that that was that expectancy. Let me take a quick break. Give me some water to drink, and uh, and I, I'm gonna spend. I'm gonna go a little bit over time because there's some other things that I want to point out. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this break, and uh, we, we'll talk a little bit more about this. And if you have any questions. You know, call 237-437-237-5230 or in the chat line. I, I want to hear your concerns. All right? Be back right now. that's slow that you wish was fast? Turtle. Really? A turtle? Yeah. And what about you? I'd rather be a slow turtle. Well, mm. I know why. Because when you're slower, you won't have to get in the street as fast and get ran over. But if you're a slow turtle and you're in the middle of the street, what happens? Austin? Exactly. It's not complicated. Faster is better. And AT&T is the nation's fastest 4G LTE network. Jackson State University is not just another university. It's a community. It's a family. And that's not all. Jackson State University is a national leader in biomedical research and development. With world-class science, math, engineering, and technology departments. At Jackson State University, we're leading the way in technology and innovation. One Jackson State University, changing lives one student at a time. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
It's our favorite. Yours and mine, because we found it together on a walk, walk, walk. Love to walk. A long walk. A, a walk with you. A walk I smelled squirrels on, but I stayed by your side because I could tell, could feel that you had a bad day and me being bad wouldn't make it any better. But being there was already helping a little anyway. And then we found that wonderful thing waiting there, waiting for you and me. And you smiled and threw it. And I decided right when I picked it up, I would never, ever leave it anywhere, ever. Because that wonderful bouncy roll around thing had made you play. And that had made you smile. Put more play in your day. Beneful. Play. It's good for you. Dad, listen, we're going to go broke unless we figure out a way to divvy up the shared data plan fairly. So, uh, whoever's fathered the most children gets the most data. Let's just do it by hair. Body hair? Most dental work. What? Stop downloading and stop liking everything. It should be by who has the least amount of cartilage in their left knee. Say no to sharing. Say yes to Sprint with truly unlimited data, text, and calling. At Farmers, we make you smarter about insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Up to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are farmers. Bum, da, da, bum, 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 bum. Welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I'm glad that you joined us today. Uh, I'm going to go a bit over time, so I'm just letting you know in advance. If we go off the air live, it's still going to be going. It still will be streaming, and um, and you can call in. You, you won't be live on the air, or you can share on the on the chat line or whatever you want to do. Uh, I just I just want to get a little more time, spend a little more time with this, um, because I. I I value the sacredness of the event uh, that we observed during this time. And what, what hurts me the most is that we, we don't, uh, as, as, a, as a Western church in particular, we don't get to the depth. I mean, we just scrape the surface of the reality of the, 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 the narrative of the last day of, of Jesus of Nazareth. You know, one of the things I, <laughs> I I get quite quite a bit, you know, uh, how old was Jesus when he died? And I said, well, uh, we we usually say he was like 33 because we say he was 30 when he started his ministry and he did his ministry for three years, so 30 plus three is 33. But in reality, he could have been, uh, we, you know, we we that is that's if you start at 
Jesus being born in 1 AD <laughs> or 0 AD. And, you know, that that's not the case. We know that he was born uh, in one account, it says, before uh, Herod issued the, uh, what the, uh, the death call for the babies. So at least four years, excuse me, before 1 AD. So, you know, that's the very minimal. So if you go four years before that, you know, it, it's safe to say he could have been at least 35, 37 uh, as, early, as 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 older as thirty eight, thirty nine, we you know, as speculative, but you know, we 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 misadapted the calendar. But anyway, I I just thought I'd share that you know a little know it all. <laughs> uh, but my my what we fail to do in the Western Church is because we we have the disconnect with both the narrative. That we have a disconnect with the narrative, we also have a disconnect with the the experience. Resurrection Sunday uh, is probably the only time that we really get to 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 really celebrate uh, celebrate what we believe, because you know it's all in our faith, and and now it's becoming too. You know, I, I don't like fancy productions. Uh, I mean, I think it's a waste of time for churches to put on these big productions for Easter. I think it's a waste of time um, for, you know, there are some churches who rent out auditorium, spacious auditoriums and all of this stuff and hold their services there. There are some churches that uh, I know at one time there were these mega churches that were holding resurrection seeds and people were saving up, you know, they were, they were saving money, working two jobs to give an offering on, on Easter Sunday. And I was like, that's foolishness. I know the biggest thing when I was growing up <laughs> was making sure you got a new suit. <laughs> and up until some years ago, I tried to buy a new suit for for Easter. And you know, I don't know. I I, I don't know where I got that from. Well, my grandmother. But but the frivolity of it has replaced the sacredness of it. Uh, and people don't see the the narrative of Jesus's last day. Uh, in a mystical sense, it's underappreciated. The things that he taught, the experiences that he had, even from the very idea, from the very, you know, from even the idea, uh, uh, not the idea, even the way that is, his resurrection is presented, the women at the tomb, all of the Marys. <laughs> I love that boy. There's so, so many Marys. I get them mixed up. <laughs> But think about that there were at least four to five, maybe as many as seven women that went to that tomb to put their sacred, uh, the sacred, the bones and the scents and all of those things on his body. Uh, and you have to wonder now, they, did they do the same thing to Lazarus before he was rose, rose from the dead? And what did he smell like? Because they said he was stinking, but, you know, the, uh, you know, the account, if it was the same manner of burial, well, you know, they should have done it. He shouldn't have been as stinky. <laughs> I, I'm, okay, I'm going a little far. I'm gonna get, let me reel myself back in. But what we forsake in this text, in the gospel accounts, and I started off by saying, by admitting the contradiction, by admitting 
the inaccuracies as presented in the modern text. And I, I say that because the modern texts are nothing like the, uh, the original text. You know, uh, they take away from a lot. They take away, a lot away from what is in the, uh, the original text. Uh, the disconnect begins there. We have to go back. You're not pat It's not like you're patching it up and trying to create a direct timeline. Some people have done that, and you know, uh, they just created this whole timeline. It's a fictional timeline of what did Jesus did, and, and they're presented in movies. Son of God, the Passion of Jesus, and uh, all kinds of stuff from way back in the day. Uh, they fictionalized it and. That has become what we identify with, and that's part of the problem, because we identify with this fictionalized idea of what happened, and we take that and we preach it, and we expect people to get converted from it, and they get converted from myths, and they rely, they try to rely on the myths to keep going, and they miss the entirety of the the, the, the reality of it. And then they get mad when the myths don't prove true. And I say myth because, again, what we have what we have built over the last 2,000 years has been myth. It has morphed from something that was meaningful, significant, and relevant to something now that is mocked and mistreated and abused and neglected. And I think we have to get back to the I. It's, I think that's the biggest part of what we miss. The myth versus the truth. And if we base all of our faith and all of our traditions and expectations on the myth, the myth will fail us. And it has. It, it creates a disingenuity. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's no real genuine faith for those who believe in the myth because they recreate the myth, the story they've been told over and over. The greatest story ever told is really the biggest lie that has been told. That, you know, the movie, I'm talking about the movie portrayal because it fictionalized it, over-fictionalized it, and people don't take it serious. But when you go back and you read the narrative and in depth and you look at what he really did, what he really went through, what he really, what he really expected from his believers. You see the greatness of what he is, who he is, why we celebrate what he did, what makes his resurrection different from all the other resurrection stories in the other religious contexts. Because of the empathy that he had towards mankind. There was no separation. He came and in this last those last few days he challenged the religiosity of the people. And that's what made them upset. That's what made the religious leaders, the chief scribes, the chief priests and the Pharisees, that's what made them mad at him because he directly challenged them the way they were keeping people oppressed. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To set a liberty that will improve, to set the captives free, to preach this typical year of the Lord, to do away all of this stuff that you have gotten people captured with, to do away with it. 
That's why he was able not to condemn the woman caught in adultery. That's why he was able to say, you follow Moses. Moses told you to do one thing, but I say to you. And that's why he was able, on the Sermon on the Mount, he was able to preach this stuff. You've heard it said this, 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 but I say unto you this, 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 this. Can you imagine the agitation? It is that agitation that drove him to fully commit to what he had called himself, uh, what he believed he was called to do. Now, what's the mystical part of that? What's the, what's the mystical part of it? What should we be contemplating? What should we be drawing from and out as we look through this week? What should we be drawing from? We should be drawing from the fact that he thought it not robbery to come from God, made himself of no reputation, became like us, and died for us. That's a great thing. It's a great thing. What we should gather from these last days of Jesus' life is that it was a life who understood purpose. And I'm not talking about this little, you know, small thing, purpose that we that we throw out, purpose, destiny, and all that stuff that's key, you know, those are catchwords now. They're they're pretty much, you know, meaningless. Because it, it you know, there's no death to them. I'm talking about he knew for which purpose he came. And when you go through and read John chapter 17, you find in that prayer that Jesus prays, you find the depth of him and his understanding of his purpose. You find as he entered into Jerusalem this last week, he said, I, I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to do this. I'm passionate about what I'm doing, even though I know it's going to cost me my life. I think we need to get to that point. I think we need to get to that point right now. I think we need to get to that point. Just as he had gotten to that point. His disciples didn't get to that point. They didn't understand. And some of them, once he got arrested, they fled. And Peter, when he got arrested, didn't even want to be associated with him. They didn't get to that point until the Spirit of God poured down on them and empowered them to to be bold enough to claim him. And I think particularly in Western Christianity, we're not there. We're bold enough to proclaim him uh, with something else. We have to attach Jesus to something else to show our boldness. We have to attach him to abortion. We have to attach him to... uh, to, to all kinds of craziness. We have to attach them to political and social issues to, to, to make ourselves seem relevant. And that is not what he was looking for. And that's not what he came for. He didn't attach himself to any political agenda, to any social agenda. He went against it. And he was killed for it. I think we need to do that. And I think until we do that, we will not see power in the church or outside the church. We will not see communities change. We will not see individual lives change until we do that. I believe that. I believe that. 
I'm not ashamed of it. And I, I, I put forth the challenge. I put forth the challenge to those of you who were content with the novelty of the resurrection, the novelty of Holy Week, the novelty of Good Friday, the novelty of the, the communion, the novelty of all of it. I challenge you to get beyond that. Get beyond what you learned in Sunday school. Get beyond what the preacher tells you. Get beyond that. You ought to be thirsty and hungering for more. Yeah, well, look, I've overgone my time. I, 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 boy, boy, boy. I tell you, next week you're going to enjoy it. Next week we'll be talking about alternative paths to the sacred. And you're going to love the show. So tune in next week. You're going to enjoy it. It's Pastor Rendell Neal. I'm glad that you uh, tuned in. And as always, we bless you and we thank you for your support. We'll be looking forward to you seeing us, hearing us again next week. So this is Pastor Neal, and I'm out. <laughs>